You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Once again, the players and the union meeting right now while we're actually talking it. So I, I would be right. worried that a big deal would come out. We wouldn't have a show out that was current, but there's no way that there's a deal coming out yet. And, and we're all just sitting around waiting around. But there's some really interesting developments. If you like playoff baseball and reports that are out are true as we're sitting down here at the Nine Foot Homemade Oak Bar doing 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. You're going to get playoff baseball almost every year as long as Rick Hahn doesn't screw it up royally or Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't go to a $40 million payroll. Like, you're you're going to the postseason if it is to be believed that today in the meetings a playoff format is, uh, is agreed upon with seven teams from each league, 14 playoff teams now. It's like the NBA in Major League Baseball, Ed. Well, yeah, and and if you believe in the whole Jerry Reinsdorf telling David Sampson just aim to finish second every year, well, now second is the new first, and first is the new (laughs) actual contender, and third is the new second, and fourth is still probably the Royals more often than not. Right. So, you know, you have all of these, you know, these scenarios where all you're saying is with a 17 playoff is that you just have to be competitive enough. And you don't have to actually put out a team that is capable of going all the way. You just have to get in, and then the mantra will be, but once the playoffs start, anything can happen. Oh. And that's what, that's what they'll go for. Oh, yeah, exactly. This episode and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. It's coming up very shortly. Their installer job fair in Evergreen Park, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday the 26th. Find out what they do, why they do it, and the services they provide. If you're looking to change careers or start a new career, get over there and check it all out. An award-winning family business that is growing. Excellent benefit packages available. No sign-up necessary for this. Just bring your valid driver's license Saturday the 26th to Family Waterproofing Solutions in Evergreen Park. Get the address, get the details, learn all about it at familydry.com. That should be very exciting over there. They do great work and they're growing. And uh, I don't know. I I, I talked to Ken over there who, who runs the place. I think his folks are all doing really well over there. As the business grows, they grow, which is a kind of a cool thing. So if you're, if you're looking for something, yeah. check out the installer job fair. Listen, right now, if this is true, Leury Garcia can be your second baseman because they're just going to tell you, we're going to make the postseason, and then we got a puncher's chance. We can we can rotate right field. I, I mean, I see this seven teams makes the playoffs thing. It scares the bejesus out of me. Let me, let me just illustrate how it would have gone down in 2021 if this is the case. First, let me read the tweet that came out that I'm talking about. Craig Carton who is on the air at WFAN in the afternoons. He's got the blue check mark. He's out of New York. This man is not going to report something and be completely lying. Doesn't make any sense right. to him. It discredits him, okay? And it's it's likely he has a source based upon how high up he is in the media circles. You're doing afternoons on the fan in New York. 
You know people. He tweeted out, and I'll read his tweet here. MLB playoff format is set. Fans going to love it. Seven playoff teams per league. Team with best record gets by and goes to the division series. So if you're the best in the American League or National League, you have a buy in the first round. The top remaining division winner then picks their opponent from four wildcard teams. So you get to select who you're going to play. And then the other division winner gets to pick their opponent out of the three remaining wildcard teams. And the other two wildcard teams are then thrust together. And what's interesting with that is that the one with the better record is going to end up with all home games. So the division winners all have home games. So the first round for these teams would be three games all at home. The other team doesn't even get a game at home. So with the two wildcard teams, if you don't get selected to be played and you're the better of the two wildcard teams, you instantly have three games at home, the way I'm reading this. Think of the gamesmanship. Do you want to, we're going to pick this team and it might eliminate another team that we're worried about because they have to go on the road and face this team that we're leaving out there. I mean, it's crazy. You're going to be able to sit down and criticize the management of the team for picking the wrong team to play in the postseason. That's insane to me. This is like how my fantasy football league works. The team that finishes with the best record gets to pick who they want in the first round. And when they screw up, everybody mocks them. Imagine the mocking that will occur at the Major League Baseball level. This is nuts to me, Ed. That part of it is utter. I mean, it's it's fascinating, but it is also just you're right, just brewing for criticism because you're going to have those situations like, let's say last year, and you have this format last year. You know for a fact that if the Astros had the opportunity to pick the White Sox, they're going to pick them because they know dragging the White Sox to Houston is pretty much like saying we're not playing a team for the next three games. Yeah, but the thing is, That's they the couldn't have the done Sox it. were in Houston. They wouldn't have been able to do it because they were division winners. They couldn't do it because yeah. it was division winners. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, let's say the White Sox don't win their division and the Astros know they match up really well against the White Sox because they just saw it last year. We're going to Houston as a wild card team and we got to play three there. Like that, right. that, they would, I'm telling you right now, if I were the Astros and I've got the same team and the White Sox don't make the adjustments they need to make to be a different team than what they were coming and, and in. And they're and they, a wild card team right. this year. They slide back. And they still have that, those holes that Houston can exploit and they know how to exploit it. You're going to Houston for three games in the first round. You have to win. And, the and, you're, and you're getting bounced out in three games. You're, you're getting bounced out. Oh yeah. Because. Because if the White Sox don't make an adjustment, and, and let's say what you're saying is true, that you don't really have to worry about having a true contender on the field to be able to make the playoffs. If the Sox find themselves in a position this year, let's say they do walk into the season, they're unable to fix the hole at second base, and it ends up being Larry Garcia or Romy Gonzalez or Danny Mendick or Jake Berger, which would be great at the plate, but on the field maybe. And we're still rotating Gavin Sheets and Adam Engel and Andrew Vaughn. Or they suffer another injury, you know, Aloy Jimenez or somebody else that's important once again gets hurt. You could find that they could find themselves very easily in a position where an improved Detroit Tigers team maybe gets hot and takes a run or the Twins rebound or something like that. If the Sox don't win the division from here on out, though, whether or not they're a true contender for the World Series, they are going to find themselves in a position where they're going to be exploited, which is... Really, you know, it's fascinating to me because I would imagine that if Jerry Reinsdorf was in in favor of this, he's got to be sitting there thinking the good news is is that 
I can have my team plan on finish finishing second, so to speak, or we can we can maintain that sort of mid level payroll, and I can let Rick build a competitive team, but maybe not a true contender, and I can still get some playoff games out of it. But he's he's at least gonna have to open up the purse strings to make sure that they can take take the division, though, right? Yeah, if you don't take the division, you get no playoff money in your ballpark unless you can beat a team two out of three on the road in the postseason in that kind of environment. Let's look at their standings last year. Tampa Bay, best record, they would have had a bye. Okay, the second best record, and remember, towards the end of the year, we were talking about we should catch Houston so we get more home games. Well, now you'd be trying to catch Houston so that you could be the second best like they were because then they would get the pick from the wildcard teams. Not only Boston and New York, but the Blue Jays would have made it in along with the Seattle Mariners. So those would have been the ones they pick from, and then the White Sox would have picked from the three remaining. I would have not wanted anything to do with Toronto. Not at all. Remember how they were playing no. at the end of the season? I wouldn't have wanted to touch them with a 10-foot pole. In fact, I probably would have wanted Boston or New York because Seattle was hot until right at the very end, too. Those, those two teams would have made me incredibly nervous. But the other crazy thing is the A's would have finished four out of the postseason. And then after that... We're talking about teams that would have been double digits out of the postseason. So there wouldn't have been much of a race at the end. And that's the thing that kind of comes out of it. In the National League, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and San Francisco won their division. San Francisco would have gotten the bye, okay? And then Milwaukee would have gotten a pick not only from St. Louis and the Los Angeles Dodgers, but also the Reds and the Phillies. And then Atlanta would have gotten a pick from whatever was remaining. Here's the crazy thing. The seventh team in... 82 and 80, Ed. 82 and 80 gets you into the postseason. The first wow. team, the first team out, which would have been the Padres, 79 and 83. You're telling me at some point a team that's 500 or below could potentially make the postseason? Wow. The only thing I can think of, I mean, I mean, we we hold up that Cardinals team uh, that went in as a wild card as an 83 win team. And, and I don't have it in front of me to know exactly what year it was off the top of my head. But that team made a magical run, got to the series, and we hold that up as like a, you know, wow, look at look at what that team accomplished. That was amazing. That's, that's one of those baseball weird things that can sometimes happen over the course of a century. And with this format, though, you're right. You're going to have it almost every year where you're going to have that seventh team in one of the leagues is going to be kind of a kind of a lousy team frankly and they're they're not really going to be deserving of a playoff chance but they're going to you know they're going to end up in there because there's you know other teams that just somehow manage to suck worse or in the case of the Padres for example manage to get injuries and have problems that they couldn't overcome throughout the season so welcome to you know expanded playoff baseball welcome to the fact that the Sox by virtue of finishing first in their division every year or at least close enough to merit a wild card selection, we will have the ability to watch playoff baseball and we'll have the ability to cheer it on and, and have that glimmer of hope. But the reality is, is that we're also going to be stuck watching a series and that at some point might feature two teams that are basically 500 teams and it's going to be about as interesting as it would be during the regular season. It's so Reinsdorfian because imagine being the second place team in, in the American League and you get to pick the worst team, potentially, and get to walk through three games that you get to make a bunch of money at the gate, and you you should win those at home. 
<laughs> maybe it is. Maybe this is the Reinsdorf plan. I have no confirmation of it. We don't even know if this is real yet, but it seems like this is what it's going to be if reports are true. Cork and Kerry is waiting for baseball to come back. All right. Well, we're going to have a big celebration on the 13th Southside Irish Parade at their Beverly location. We're going to be out there. It's going to be fun. Sacks on 35th going to be out there with us. Sacks in the basement. Sacks on 35th. Big party. Cork and Kerry in Beverly during the Southside Irish Parade. They have a traditional Irish bar out there in the Beverly neighborhood, an outdoor patio. Imagine if it's warm on that day. That is going to be insane. But you can go out there anytime you want to and rent out their event rooms. They have different sizes for any kind of party that you're having. Parties are coming back. People are having events. I got a I got a kid doing confirmation coming up here. I've got graduation coming up. Parties galore. Remember, you can rent out space there. You can also do the same thing at their location outside the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark where they have an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. It is the perfect place to pregame and postgame. Cork and Carey, Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Cork and Carey at the park, 33rd in Princeton. Learn more at corkandcarey.com. And I think about the Cork and I think about all these other businesses that are surrounding the ballpark, Ed, and, you know, think about it, your vendors, your your bars and restaurants that are around the ballpark, your like grandstand sports, let's say, and these other people that thrive, their businesses are set up for baseball without baseball being played. It harms them like a more than you can even imagine. And I see millionaires and billionaires unable to work out a deal and the possibility of no games or a truncated schedule, or not starting on time. And I think about people that have to go out and have to buy food in advance and make sure beer deliveries are coming in advance and what kind of staffing are we going to need for opening weekend. And they're all in a holding pattern, and I think it sucks. I think, you know, everybody argues, is it the player's fault or the owner's fault? But no matter who you blame, everybody should be blamed. If the little guy that survives off of what's going on in that ballpark who builds a livelihood, who puts food on the table, who takes care of their family, who has to run a business, take care of their employees. If they're being hurt because you don't start baseball on time, shame on you. Because in 2020, you gave them a 60-game schedule. They've gone through two years of a pandemic. Businesses are closing left and right. People are losing their homes, their livelihoods. They're having to let their children down on promises that were made. And you guys are all going to make your money and come out and say, we did it. Hold your hands up high, big joint press conference or whatever you do. What about those guys? And, and and have you thought about that? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And, you know, I, I talk a little bit about the cork there. They, they got a great business over there. And I, I don't know personally what's going on over there and how this affects them, but I'm sure it does. And I'm sure it affects every other business that's around the ballpark or people that rely on baseball being played who had to deal with this in 2020 and then had to deal with all the other things that have happened around their business in the last two years because of the pandemic. The economy sucks. And now I just feel like they're the ones that are going to get beat up the most here, Ed. And it's starting to upset me because I I blame everybody and I'm angry at everybody involved in these negotiations the moment those people get hurt. Well, and that's that's I think the crux of the problem, the crux of the frustration for fans with the CBA is not that we're talking about millionaires arguing over millions and we don't get, you know, as lay people, what the problems are or what the, you know, what their concerns are because we can't understand because we're not baseball owners, we're not baseball players. None of that. No. 
for us on the ground level, we're, we're sitting here saying, look, this is something that we enjoy as fans that you've taken away from us because you guys can't figure it out. But you're right. When you start getting into this is where somebody works, okay? This is, this is where somebody is going to make the transition from working at the United Center to working at Wrigley or working at the cell or guaranteed rate or whatever you want to call it these days. Comiskey. I'm just going to stick with Comiskey. Sox Park. That's what I call it. Sox Park. Okay. Sox Park. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're making that transition, okay. And, and this is how you work seasonally. Or there are some people who, who that is, that is kind of when they work for the year, really that, you know, and they don't work much during the winter. There are also businesses, like you said, that this is their boom time. This is the time when they were, you know, when when they're starting to ramp up, and we're gonna they're gonna have the busy part of the year that is gonna make their year. And if you take that away from them, there's no making up for that. And you can't just sit there and say, "Well, it's not our fault that these businesses rely on us. We didn't tell them to rely on us." Oh, bull! Every one of these guys, even the baseball players, are business people. They need to. They they do understand. Okay. Jerry Reinsdorf, I'm just going to pick on him. Jerry Reinsdorf didn't make millions, his millions, didn't make his money as a baseball team owner, right? He was a businessman. He was a guy, he was a real estate guy. He understands profit, loss. He understands market and, and, and when you have to strike and when it's hot and what the, what the ebb and flow of it is. And every single one of those hedge fund owners that own ba- these teams or every single one of these guys that made their money somewhere else in some other form of business, they get it. They just don't care. I don't, I agree with that. I don't think they care because in their mind, hey, look, I made my money in spite of what other people were doing. You make your money in spite of what other people were doing. But it's really, it's just, it's just absolutely not fair but i also do think too that if you if you step outside of this lockout in the cba and you you really think about where the business is in a neighborhood around a ballpark or that deal with things on a seasonal basis where those businesses really fit in with the scheme of what the team ownership is i don't think it's much more than an maybe a civil relationship i don't i don't really think a lot of those businesses get along with the teams necessarily because i think the teams would prefer that instead of us spending money at Cork and Carry, that we do go into the ballpark and we buy their beer and we buy their burgers, even though I'd much rather drink a Cork and Carry and I'd much rather eat their burgers ahead of time than spend more money for that, more money for less, frankly, in the ballpark. And that's not a slight against the ballpark food. It just is what it is, okay? An establishment like Cork and Carry is going to do much better as far as service and availability of stuff and what they do and what they put into it than somebody who's got a mass produce for 40,000 people. So you just, you just have to hope that these businesses can weather this one more time. And the fact that we're coming off of 2020, which is not major league baseball's fault, obviously, but the fact that a lot of these businesses are falling up, you know, have fallen on hard times and are falling apart because of that, because they never were able to recover yeah, if you expect all of us to cheer for you because you guys finally got off your butts, sat down and talked it out on you know the 11th hour, we're not happy. We're not celebrating the fact that you did it. And we're not going to pat you on the back for your efforts. This should have been taken care of in December and even earlier maybe so that we didn't have to run into this situation. We're sitting there saying, you know, these games are, are going to be delayed. And it, it, it's not even around the ballparks. It's the spring training games too. I actually heard a story about, you know, how some of the cities are – 
that, you know, put up and basically built themselves around the Cactus League are just incredibly mad that they're going to lose it really, you know, out of the last two seasons, they're looking at losing two out of the last three, right, seasons of what amounts to the revenue for the town. Listen, these these businesses don't work with the team, and I'm sure the team would like every dollar that's around the ballpark. That's why you have that restaurant and uh, and shop that's outside and attached to the ballpark, uh, you know, the, with the bridge that goes over 35th Street, and it's all sitting over there. I'm sure they would love everybody to go eat in there and buy all their jerseys in there. But the places that surround the ballpark in this symbiotic relationship, they add to the fun of game day. They add to the experience of it for everybody. And just like you said, those minor league towns and these people that have businesses that surround the team, they add to the team. They add value to it, even if it doesn't go uh, from dollar into the wallet of ownership. And they are like the forgotten group here that were just abused, not at the fault of Major League Baseball two years ago, but it's their fault right now. And so they they really need to get on the ball. And I I know it's probably hard for people that fly jets that they actually own or have massive mansions that I could never even imagine uh, touring, let alone living in, for them to remember that there's all these other people that rely on them. But I hope that they'll start remembering it because it's getting kind of ridiculous. Ed Village Law Offices wants to help you protect the people and assets in your life and your afterlife. I just saw the new Ghostbusters movie. It was awesome. I, I think of that now when I read this read. I just saw I just saw the new one. <laughs> Got Paul Rudd. In. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was I, I, I laughed my butt off. I had my kids in the room. My six-year-old liked it. I don't think I would show it to a six-year-old if he didn't have two teenage siblings and he's already learned every word and seen so much stuff that I would have never have shown a six-year-old because he's surrounded by two teenagers. But they do estate planning over at Village Law Offices, wills, trust, powers of attorney, probate, real estate closings, prenups, got to have the prenup, small business services, starting a business, selling or buying, or if you need a contract done. Located out of Schaumburg, give them a call at 847 656 3600 or check out villagelawoffices.com. Listen, Jordan Lazowski's on the line from Sox on 35th. He caused some trouble earlier this week on Twitter by taking Pakoda projections, putting them out there and watching people react like, oh my God, that's all Yohan Mankata's going to hit? Like, and he was just causing trouble. So I have him on the line, Ed. Say hello to Jordan. Hey, Jordan, what's up besides you stirring up trouble? Doing good. Can't complain. Wish the weather was a bit better, but, you know, it is what it is in February in Chicago. So Yeah, I mean, this is when I'm supposed to be thinking about spring training, and instead I'm trying to figure out the details of the CBA and the possibility of, what, 14 teams making into the postseason. We still have players we need to add to this team, and we still have to figure out what this team is going to be. And you were causing trouble on Tuesday. When you went on Twitter Shocker. and started putting out Pakoda projections and you started off with Yuan Mankata or as the guy on our show last episode called him, I want to I want to say he called him Yonder Mancuder or whatever he, he called him, a star second baseman in the collegiate system uh, that Cuba has. So let's start with Yuan. Uh, his first actually before we even start with Yuan, let's talk about Pakoda. Give a like a layman's breakdown of what these numbers mean where they come from for somebody that doesn't understand what Pakoda is. For sure. Well, first of all, Chris, you know I would never go on Twitter to cause trouble. That, that's something I would never do. Never. But, no, what Pakoda and what any of these projections you see, steamers, bats, zips, whatever you look at, 
you're going to see projections. And Pocota is just a, a version of that. Basically, in a nutshell, all projections say based on player past performance, based on you know age, based on position, based on a bunch of other factors that they deem important, build a model that creates what this player's season might look like. What differentiates Pocota from a lot of other a lot of other projection systems is that they give you a lot of different percentiles. So they say all the way from first to 99th, like here's the worst possible season that we're projecting based on this model. Here's the best case scenario and here's everything in between. So that was, that's what makes them a bit different, but every projection system is just based on what they consider important. They're essentially running a regression model that says, okay, here's what we're projecting this player to perform at this season. It's not meant to be set in stone. Obviously, this is only based on mostly past performance. So you really don't have much of a growth factor built in there. But it's supposed to give you something to talk about and something to look at uh, come the end of the season. So 50-50 or 50th percentile is right down the middle. It's the mean. It's the average. It's not exactly what the projection is because, again, it's taking all the bad and all the good and it's trying to roll this thing out. Like when I when I think about the fact that I think Aloya Menes is taking a next step, I don't know if I'd look at his 50th percentile because that's saying he doesn't take a next step. This is just his natural progression. If I think a guy's ready for a big boost, I might look a little higher. Does that make sense? Am I right about that? Exactly. So any of these percentiles just says, okay, we ran, let's just say for argument's sake, they ran the model 100 times. And the 50th percentile says, okay, 50% of the time, the projected numbers were better than this number, this average home run RBI total that we have here. But 50% of them were worse. So that's why the 50th percentile is technically like the average one. If you're going to compare Pocota to any other projection system you enjoy, that's the one you'll pick. So Yoan Moncada, when you put out his thing, you put out his 50th percentile thing. And you wanted to see whether or yeah. not people would like his 50th percentile number. So what what were those for Yoan? 259 batting average, 359 on base percentage, 449 slugging, 20 homers, 71 RBI. And I simply asked, is this good enough of a season for you? And the split came back at about 50-50 by the end of the day. Okay, so half of people are okay with that, half weren't. I, you know, I don't like low batting averages. I'm, I'm still one of those guys that likes to see guys get on base with hits. And so when I hear 259, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. It's the, the old school baseball guy in me, but that's an OPS. It sounds like to me in my quick math, that's around 800, a little bit over 800. So it's not a terrible season. I, I would like to see him improve. If he's ever taking a step and getting better, I've said it before. It's this season. It's a long way away from the guy that people thought at one point was going to be batting in the middle of the lineup. But I, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Do you? It's, it's all about your personal expectations. For a player. So, you know, I hear 800 OPS and I say, well, that's based on at least 2021. That's a top 50 hitter in baseball. Right. Am I satisfied with a top 50 hitter in baseball for you? Yeah, I'm pretty satisfied with that. Now you could be someone that says, well, no, that's not what was sold to me way back in the day. Um, when we first traded for Yohan Moncada and all the hype surrounding him then. To that, I say, well, scouts get things wrong all the time. Like, for Yohan Moncada to be a number one prospect, well, Jerkson Profar was once a number one prospect in all of baseball. And he's better than him. Right, exactly. So th- there are players that, you know, hit that number one status, that, that are the Vlad Guerrero juniors that are just tearing apart baseball. 
there are guys like Jerks and Profar who, who never hit that ceiling that scouts saw. Scouts have the hardest job because they don't have a lot of data. And because they don't have a lot of data, they're going to get a lot of things wrong. So, so as a result, and it's not their fault, it's just they're doing the best they can with what's on the field. So when you say like, especially high schoolers, for example, when you say, you know, they're built to grow into their power, they'll develop power over time. Some don't. And that's, that's not the fault of the scout necessarily. That's just how the players made. Some of us are like me, stuck at 5'9 with some scrawny arms just talking about baseball online. Like, some people don't grow into their power. You're not scrawny. You're not. Well, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Well, yeah, if you keep taking me out for lunches and dinners this upcoming <laughs> year, I won't be scrawny anymore, Chris. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, we'll put some, we'll put some meat on you when we get you out to Cork and Cary for the Southside Irish Parade. All right, so I, I'm thinking, though, based upon what you said there about Moncada being probably in the top mm-hmm. 50 hitters in, in Major League Baseball if he if he gets to his 50th percentile, if he's supposed to be your best hitter on the team, that's disappointing. But I consider Aloy Jimenez to be uh, better than Yoan Moncada at the plate, and I expect more than that. I expect Yasmani Grandal to be better at the plate than Yoan Moncada. I expect Luis Robert to be better at the plate than Yoan Moncada. There, there are several guys that I believe. So if he's like fourth or fifth on the team in terms of what he puts out, and that's top 50, and you think of it in that way, then it's acceptable. It might not be what you want, but it's acceptable. The guy the guy I'm really interested in is Aloya Menez. Now, I think he's going to break out, so I'm thinking, look at that 70th percentile or 75. I mean, what, what do you think? What percentile did you look at, and wh- where does he land? Yeah, so the thing with Jimenez, it's very interesting with Eloy because he's someone that doesn't have a ton of data behind him. He's got a decent 2019 where he was mostly a rookie, he had a great 2020 short season and 2021 was short because he just, he just wasn't on the field. He was hurt. So when you're putting that all together, you know, if you see his flash line at the 50th percentile was 267, 322, 482 with 28 homers, you can look at that and say, well, I understand why he as a player was projected at that because he doesn't have a ton of data to go off of. And then if you go from there and you say, okay, what's maybe the 50th or the 70th percentile, maybe you like that a bit better. But at the same time, you know, it's projecting what you think a player is going to be. And that's kind of the hard part about these projections is, you know, they're just based on historical performance. They don't see, you know, I think you like is going to break out They're They're trying to take it and say, well, he may, he may not. Here's based on what is history. And, player similar to him he might do but at the same time I I can't be sure of that yeah I think that's his floor I think he hits 40 home runs this year that's how I feel with him I think he already gets close to it I I think that's his floor I think he has a huge year this year was there somebody that stood out to you that you were surprised by shocked about or it just kind of made you feel like you were vindicated and and about how you felt about that White Sox player when you saw the projections I think it's for me having the projection as a whole looking across the league at Yasmani Grandal basically being pretty close to a top 10 player in baseball. And that's at a 50th projection percentile projection level. I think at a 50th percentile, he's actually projected to be the fifth best hitter in baseball. I'm sorry, at 50th percentile. So the right there in the average, Grandal is the fifth best hitter in baseball, according to Pakoda. Yes. Well, wow. there, so it's the fifth best hitter, but you also have to factor, you know, a lot of his value does come from being behind the plate. 
his numbers look like this. Um, 237 average, that shouldn't surprise you. No. 397 on base percentage, that shouldn't really surprise you. 470 slugging. So when you put that together, you put together the value he has behind the plate at the same time, there's an argument that that entirety of value over 162 adds up incredibly highly. Now that's at the 50th percentile level, so that may change based on the player, obviously. But I think when you're talking about in terms of vindication, how you feel about things, like, yeah, even in his older years, as he's getting up there, he's still projected to be a really solid quality ball player. Jordan, for Valentine's Day, did you send uh, Yasmani chocolates, uh, flowers, or maybe even a picture of yourself dressed up as Cupid? How far did you go with him this year? No, that all went to Dylan Cease, actually. Um <laughs> All of that. All of that went to Dylan Cease this year. All of it went to Dylan, uh, you know, <laughs> hopefully to basically say, you know, I appreciate appreciate what you did in the regular season, making me look good, but I'm going to need you to carry over that to the uh, postseason next time because I, I need to minimize the amount of Twitter arguments I get into, and I, I need you to help me with that. That's awesome. Jordan Lazowski writes for Sox on 35th. He writes really good articles. He breaks down things incredibly well. And he's a fun follow on Twitter because you get to see some fun Twitter arguments. And he just stirs the pot. That's what he does. He loves Yasmani Grandal, but his heart lies with Dylan Cease. And uh, we appreciate him being on the show. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks as always, Chris. Really appreciate it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.